You're listening to Tabletop Arcanum, a podcast dedicated to learning and exploring the hobby of tabletop gaming. Your hosts are Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, so sit back and relax as we talk, discuss, and joke our way through the hobby we love so much. Welcome to Tabletop Arcanum, we're your hosts, Justin and Ricky, and you thought you got rid of me, Justin, but here I am. I can't get rid of you. I know where you live, I know, it's really difficult. I tried to change the locks. Yeah, just, you know, roguing it. That's fair. Back at it, welcome back to the show, Ricky. Thank you, thank you, I appreciate being back. Feels like home again. Yeah. Mostly because I've come over and I haven't left in the past two weeks until you started recording. So. It's true. Mindy was a decent fill-in for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was a fantastic fill-in for me. But uh, definitely not as loud. No one is. No so. one is. Been busy. Roll recap-wise in quarantine. Like, I've been recording. I've been talking about what I've been playing. Mostly, it's really just been whatever we've been reviewing. Um, mm-hmm. And then besides that, RPGs. Like D&D, um, L5R, a little bit of Star Wars. I've been keeping busy, but doing other things, too. Yeah. Setting up the studio space, if you will. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm down here in the studio space, and it's looking fantastic. I'm pretty sure the reason I'm on today's episode is because you need help carrying stuff downstairs. So. No, maybe. Yeah, I'm on to you. In the past three months, I've played um, lots of D&D, mm-hmm. lots of Harry Potter, and then, surprisingly enough, the first competitive game I've gotten my girlfriend to play with me, Monopoly Draw. The best five dollars uh, can get you at a uh, a Walgreens. I can't believe she still wants to still wants to play it. She loves Monopoly. She knows that I can be a little competitive, so she does not like playing Monopoly with me because nothing says I love you like fighting for three hours. And draw, I'm guessing, isn't three hours. Oh yeah, it's uh, fifteen minute games. I think you have to get like three separate um yeah three separate Monopolies and then you win the game. Okay, so. Instead of waiting until your opponent is beaten and blood dry. Beaten, blood drawn, runs out of money, has to auction things off to you uh, yeah. if it's a two-player game. And yeah, it gets brutal. So that's good. That's good mm-hmm. that you found a, uh, a quicker Band-Aid version of Monopoly for you guys. It's been exciting because uh, we've gotten some new publishing feedback we did the stargate rpg review Mm -hmm. which uh then got more contact with uh wyvern studios designer or or lead designer the title pending as you'll hear uh reached out to us and wanted to talk to us so we set up a interview time with him talked to him for a good chunk of time you were able to join Mm -hmm. and we had uh alec and wyatt join us who were my playtesting players uh, Ken was not able to join us, but we had most of the group there to kind of bounce off uh, ideas and see where the game was going, where it was heading. It was just a blast. We had a real good time talking. So we welcome you to listen to that segment with Mac Martin from Wyvern Gaming Studios. Enjoy. Welcome and thank you for joining everybody. Uh, we have some recurring uh, playtesters uh, and our co-host Ricky, as well as we're being joined by Mac Martin from Wyvern Gaming. Welcome, everybody. I appreciate your jumping in. And why don't we just say a round of hellos, starting with, uh, we'll start with Ricky, go to our guest, Mac, and then uh, we'll get to our playtesters. I'm back. Hello. It's awesome. 
Yeah. Hi, Ricky. Finally, I'm great. This is great. Hi, Mick. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Excellent. I waved, even though no one can see me. Exactly. <laughs> we're all smiling. We're all having a good time, but uh, it's an audio podcast, so yeah, some of that's lost. Uh, and then we're joined once again by uh, our Abaddonian player, Alec. Hello. And our totally got snuck uh, stuck <laughs> snuck into the Stargate program, and then they made him stay, uh, Wyatt. Hello. And unfortunately, our Jaffa is uh, preoccupied off-world and cannot join us for tonight, uh, though he wished he could. Welcome, and thank you for all again for joining. Since, Mac, you are our special guest here, and the one kind of uh, more ingrained into this program, uh, the, the game and the program upcoming than we are, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and where you came from here? Oh, well, uh, let's see. I've been designing games for, I want to say, nearly 20 years now. I cut my teeth early on, you know, podcasting and gaming like everyone else, got a degree in game design, started to work at uh, Fantasy Flight, working on the Warhammer 40K series, worked at Weird on the um, on Malifaux, that role-playing game and miniatures game for their second edition. Um, and I've just been kind of kicking around doing freelance work uh, here and there for a few years, and now we're working on Stargate, uh, converting, uh, getting that ready for fifth edition, or getting fifth edition ready for it is more appropriate. I don't know if uh, Fifth Edition knows what, what's coming. Uh, all right. And then one thing I always like to ask uh, our guest, Mac, what have you been playing lately? What's 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 hitting the table for round you? That's a long list. That's a shockingly <laughs> long list. I have a what I would call a very aggressive playing and testing schedule. I maintain a minimum of four games a week that I run, all of which at any moment know that I could show up and be like, well, we're not playing our normal game tonight. Here's some Stargate stuff we got to test. So my, and so none of those are typically Stargate. Um, my, I guess start on Monday. My Monday game used to be a Rap and Athic Mega Dungeon Crawl, which was kind of like a gold rush. There's a dungeon, Mega Dungeon that I discovered. So adventurers are going to it as a, uh, okay. and building up the town around it. Very like Deadwood meets D&D. But that one now just transferred, trans- translated into a uh, world of darkness used to do Harry Potter. Very different campaign. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then my Wednesday game is another dungeon crawl that I'm just building for a friend. And then my Friday game is that like big sprawling one. We always takes years and years and years and there's Kings and Queens. And, you know, we've got bloodlines and players are playing people's children and all kinds of craziness. And then uh, my Sunday game was a superhero game. And now we've started doing um, Shadowrun. And I okay. think my Friday game is about to switch to Shadowrun now. Just <laughs> really, a lot of upheaval happening. That's that is a lot of gaming, and the, and you said those are all games you run, right? Yeah, I, I do get to play in one game every week on Thursday. Uh, my friend Will runs uh, a game, and I'm I'm playing uh what is it uh, War for the Crown Pathfinder's War for the Crown. Okay, yep. I get to bust out my cavalier next to my fiance's opera singer. It's fun. Oh, that's a that's a dangerous duo. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, a lot. Um, and but you you're mostly uh, an RPG player. Do you do any uh, tabletop board games at all? Oh yeah, tons, tons. Right now, I'm working through Pandemic Legacy, season one or two. Season one, season one, still in person. Excellent. And what month are you in? Um, oh, we're in like I want to say March. I think we uh, just finished February. We have not really gotten that far. All right. Well. It's, yeah, I know. It's gonna, get, 
we kind of quit when the game became real life, and we were just like, you know what? Let's pause. Yeah. We'll come back to this. It got a little too real. Let's not play Pandemic real. anymore. Let's go watch Poldark instead. Let's go watch uh, Sense and Sensibility for boys. Yeah, whoever didn't finish their Jumanji game has uh, really need to stop. Really? Yeah. Can, can you guys? No, they need to finish. Well, that's true. They, they do need to finish that game. I don't know if I trust that they'll win. And, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, we, we did a Pandemic like, Season 1, and it's a lot of fun. It's actually something like, even though it's a legacy game and I've played the story, I would definitely go back and play another round of it because it was just a lot of fun to get through. One of the rare treats of working at Fantasy Flight, yeah, I shouldn't say rare treats, one of the rare treats of, you know, really big treats of my life happened mm-hmm. at FFG. It made it sound like FFG was awful and it was great. Uh, we, I got to play uh, Risk Legacy through with, like, three other guys who really wanted to, like, play it like it was Risk Legacy, right? No one took too long with their turns, but nobody was... Fate, you know, not paying attention. Right. We had a great time. If I remember right, that was like a 15 games to get through the legacy part of it. 15-ish, yeah. And, yeah, it was a long one. Uh, well, yeah, but it, they also did some really cool mechanics. Uh, for instance, uh, they introduced mechanics early on into the whole system where you weren't playing until one guy was remaining. There was a mm-hmm. win condition everyone was going for, so we were all playing until one guy won, which is an important change to keep risk fun. Right. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree, because uh, I started one of those, uh, and then the group kind of fell apart, but I do remember the changes that they they made made Risk at least tolerable again, uh, opposed to like this long, drawn-out thing that never ended. I mean, I've always liked that version of Risk, too, but I'll take the speedy version. It it still felt like Risk. Right. It's good to have both. Like uh, yeah. I, I used to play a lot of TI3 and Twilight Imperium 3, and th- that was the, yeah, I'm setting aside a day or maybe weekend for this. I knew right. that. I'm in prison. I want the long version of Risk. Right. That was my Friday night for a good year straight is, is playing uh, Lord of the Rings Risk and just hating all of my friends just forever. <laughs> I still hate them. They're not That's that awesome. great. Terrible. Terrible of course, people. I also play a lot of miniature games and I'm playtesting another one and I'm just, ugh, yeah, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, just keeping a little busy, right? As busy as I can humanly manage, awesome. especially in uh, especially in quarantine like this. Right, that's great. Glad to have another long long lasting gamer with us too to join in on this discussion tonight. Uh, so let's talk about uh, Wyvern Gaming and the Stargate RPG because that's that's really that's, what we're here for. That's what I, yeah. What is your role, Mac, with the Stargate RPG? What do you what is your? Uh, well, I think my official title maybe is uh, lead designer. Designer at the very least. Uh, I am the guy who converted everything to fifth, built the rules for fifth, rewrote where fifth needed the rewrite, and I'm also handling a lot of the actual text layout. Uh, We had a graphic designer build, obviously, the graphic design packages. The art is done by other people, but uh, I'm the one kind of responsible for the document because that is the physical way in which people play the game, so it's important that the designer really puts things in specific places to make things go smoothly. Okay. The other thing I've definitely learned, uh, mostly through like uh, board game manuals, is how one designer, one person thinks of where something should be isn't necessarily where other people think it should be. I'm choking because that's the, the it's funny, that's the only thing I, that is my primary task is, all right, where does this box need to go? During all this, you know, building everything and, and you know, designing everything, what has uh what have you found to be just the biggest challenge 
and converting everything over to um, the beta right now. But Honestly, the hardest thing is 5th edition and Stargate, while not incompatible, they, uh, they're obviously not incompatible, they are achieving different goals, especially when it comes to the combat, combat simulation, especially when it comes to the moment-to-moment, session-to-session gameplay. D&D is designed, 5th edition is designed to play like we, most people are familiar with old-school D&D playing. But something like Stargate is more tailored towards recreating the excitement and fun we all had watching the TV show. Getting to feel like you're a part of that show story, not something that operates in the Stargate universe but differently, right? This isn't a Stargate but dungeon crawl. That wouldn't really feel Stargate. Uh, so creating a game that simulates that isn't impossible, but it, it does require new mechanics, and it does require that the system itself shift focused away from combat encounters solely. Obviously, this is a military campaign. Combats happen, um, and you want players to feel like those are tactical and strategic. They're doing things that a military unit does. But an adventuring party and a military unit are very different combatants. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the players want a very different experience. It gets difficult because 5th edition doesn't have ingrained a lot of the tools to do, say, a protracted dipl- diplomacy scene at some alien diplomat's ball. You got to write all that. You got to build all that into the system from scratch, mm. which, of course, you've got plenty of space for because you get to remove all the magic. Why did you guys choose the 5e um, as the rule set opposed to making some sort of a custom system? Um, in this case, I, I came on to the uh, uh, project after it had already been kind of defined. Uh, I'm the second designer on it. Unfortunately, the original designer passed away. So I'm kind of stepping in to, to help bring the product home. Um, but from what I understand, uh, not to put words in other people's mouths, the goal with 5th edition was accessibility. Uh, Stargate is a game that was going to not only appeal to gamers because it's 5th edition but with sci-fi, but also a lot of Stargate fans who are nerd-adjacent, who've been you know fans since the 90s, you know, since the original movies came out. And if, you know this is that third star pillar in the you know, three stars of science fiction series and so it's 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 important that those fans uh, some of them who are young some of them who haven't gamed in years some of them who have never gamed also have an easy touchstone to get into it and can figure out the rules without us trying to combat simulate every gunshot and every bureaucratic piece of paperwork that a military guy has to fill out (laughs) (laughs) yeah the uh the briefings and then the debriefings and then the uh uh mission reports you know, it, the deep mission debriefing really works in a, uh, a campaign, though, because if it gives you a chance as the GM to come in as, you know, PK lawyer or general or or even, you know, whoever's in charge of the your Phoenix team and uh, read them the riot act when they do something crazy or at least <laughs> fill them in like a few weeks later, they find out what happened. Right. Like, right. It, it lets them know what happened with the stories they're interested in or just interacted with if you're not doing your job that great. <laughs> <laughs> with everything going on right now, coronavirus, all that fun that comes along with it uh you guys um have pushed back the release of the game to 2021 um originally supposed to come out this year at gen con were the what kind of challenges or benefits did you kind of see from that for me as a designer it's nothing but benefits there's never a time that more time isn't good to me we're already in play testing i've got testers playing it at this point i just it lets me put more stuff in the book right now i'm working through our background chapter and getting it kind of um, where we want it to be so that it brings both new players and old players up to speed. Oh, you know, we got a lot of cool elements 
in down like in the town that's near the Phoenix site and that sort of thing. Building that kind of world, it, it always works better when you have more time because the more players who ask questions, the more players who interact with a, a weird corner case. I learn more from when players misread my rules and play it wrong than sometimes I do from when they play it right. Because if they play it right and I hit my mark, great. But if I if they read it wrong and played it wrong, that means I now at least know where to go and revise my text. It's it's just more time I have watching players play and generating content, the better the game's going to be. And I'm just excited for the time. No, I mean, it sucks because, you know, this isn't the reason you want the time. But right. as a designer, I learned long ago to never complain when you get extra time. The the company or, or business side point, it's always, okay, let's go, go, go. Let's meet those deadlines. Mm-hmm. And this is the opportunity you as a designer get to say, hey, now we have more time. Let's, let's yeah, make it even more polished. When the business side of producing a, a game is like, we can wait. We can wait. You're like, what? <laughs> okay, fantastic. Let's go. I got plans. I got ideas. I'm. A, I got five thousand words a day to meet. Let's do it. You know. Like, <laughs> how long do I have? Let's fill it. You know. Ricky did not take. Uh, did not play test with us, uh, but did go through the the PDF and at least mm-hmm. you know saw what you have so far down. Circled all my typos. Not all of them. <laughs> Let let you know, let some of the some other people get some uh, some love in there for you, <laughs> but I know uh, when you know we got connected and started talking a little bit, it was like okay, let you know since you're the you know one the designer slash maybe lead designer, uh, depending where that title ends up falling for you, uh, you were like <laughs> you know you, you know it, it's a different things you put on your uh, your resume so. Supreme Title. designer, then I'm going to go with that. Uh, high Lord Commander designer. There we go. High, 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 <laughs> or, high, uh, high Commander General. Or high, high Designer General. Uh, sy- uh, system Lord? System Lord, yes. Systems Lord. Multiple. Systems, I, systems Lord Mac Martin. You name it. Systems Lord. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, if you do end up uh, using that, uh, it's okay. <laughs> I, I, I think the joke would be a fantastic one to have in there. This is the one product I could get away with putting System Lord Mac Martin in it, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> There's never going to be this chance again in my life. If I don't take it now, what kind of fool am I? <laughs> uh, so I know Alec came up with uh, some ideas and questions for you, but Wyatt, did you have anything to start off with hers? Because I had, I. I we started with Ken, Alec, Wyatt during our review, so I wanted to I, flip that a little bit, give you the first shot. I was, I was hoping that was going to be the plan for this time, too, that I could come up with something as we go. Uh-oh. I mean, I've got some random comments and things, but it's not really question type things. Like, go for it. Again, floor's the floor's yours. Going back into the... Uh, actually, I suppose it, it could be formed into a question. The From a design standpoint on the like the layout of the book... I noticed that it's got the uh, like kind of sidebar that lists like kind of what chapter you're in. Was that uh, something that was d- done for ease of determining where you are and finding things in the book, or was that something that just is there for a placeholder? Uh, no, it's it's definitely there for ease of finding your location in the book. The uh, idea there is no matter what you do, at some point as a GM, I have to go to the rules. If I have to, everyone has to. I am the kind. I have a. I have a very specific philosophy when it comes to gaming. I don't hide my dice rolls. Um, I don't need those tools to fudge my game the way I want it to go. If I need to make something less deadly, I can do that without the dice rolls. Now, not everyone can do that. There are new players. There are there are campaigns that doesn't work for the way I run my games. It works for me, and 
I always like to go to the text when my players can't have the question of can I do that. Uh, for me, the rules are there to empower the players to do their things. That's what tells you, yes, you can cast a fireball. Here's how it works. So I never want to, to go against the text if I can help it. That doesn't mean I won't mutate the text and give some guy a lightning ball instead, right? Um, that doesn't mean I won't have a you know have that helicopter have a really big machine gun, but uh, it does mean that I don't want the players to feel like the game doesn't operate the way the dice said it did. For that to happen, for me to be able to look at books during gameplay, uh, it's much easier if I can fan through them and see where things are. Um, one of the things you don't notice that is part of my job is to put art at specific locations where they're much more likely to be spotted if you are red, green, colorblind, and if you uh, are left-handed versus right-handed and might be flipping through the book in a different direction than most people. There's a lot of things that we do with art to give visual markers to the user who's just flipping through the book looking for that, like, where's the guns again? Oh, here's a two-page spread that has a lot of guns on it. So when they're flipping through fast, they can stop and find what they're looking for. And when we make this into a PDF, that sidebar doubles as a link where if you just need to jump to chapter, you'll be able to click over to it. It doesn't do it yet because I don't have the, you know, that's later in the process when you set those things up. But, you know, it's it's just there for usability. That's excellent because I noticed that there's a lot of stuff where you do have to jump around to different sections of the book for like in the classes going to the feats and vice versa, I imagine. So that's... I, I originally had the system working where, or the book laid out where all those feats were in with the classes and it it caused too many problems when people were building their characters, especially new players, because it created us. Uh, uh, that decision took up too much reading. So instead to say, hey, at second level, you'll get a choice, or at first level, you get a choice, move on, figure out the rest of your class and jump to it. Now, sometimes I make mistakes like the scout, where I switch Vanguard to earlier because I wanted them to get a little damage a little faster, but forgot that that moves... Uh, survivalist to second level so their first level choice doesn't meet any of the prereqs right <laughs> you know you know that's what testing is for it's like whoops ah, that, that was to say ken ken was our, our scout who discovered that and uh, went oh that was kind of not so fun but it, <laughs> that's I, why you like you said that's why you play test i had you know what's funny is one of my other playtesters had told me about that i'd found it uh on another game and i had literally fixed it the day before i listened to your podcast and i was like son of a gun <laughs> well, the good news, though, is the fact if, if one person discovered, another person also discovered, and so you know it was a good fix to make then. Yeah, I'm not, definitely not debating the fix. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's it's really good to see stuff like that uh, come through. Uh, when you said the hyperlinks, I got su kind of excited, too, because having a sidebar is great, but as a PDF, if those are all linked, oh, man, I hate using PDF books because of that. <laughs> yeah, and then the control find and trying to find where you need to go and all that. Right. Yeah, hopefully I can make you know there's there's systems in InDesign that I as a designer haven't used in a few months, so I got to go back and brush up on them. Mm -hmm. But we, I mean, you can make every page link uh, or every page you know reference a link, things like that. There's a lot oh, yeah. you can add to the usability, but that's always the last thing you do. Right, because who knows where uh, page XX ends up. Right. Who knows when I might collapse three chapters into one, where it's like, this doesn't need mm -hmm. two chapters. Beautiful. Uh, White, do you got anything else? At the moment, I'll cool. shoot it over to Alec. Alec, all right. Go for it. All right. So I do have some stuff. I was So I was the Abaddonian medic player. And this is really coming from the perspective of being that Abaddonian and in character creation. 
I noticed that I was very, very limited in my choices for backgrounds. Um, I'm assuming that this is a list that is going to be filled out more, but is that something that you guys are looking at before different races? I think the thing you bump into there is, okay, Abydos being the example, The uh, I think there's probably more origins than you think would apply to an Abydonian. Mm-hmm. For instance, you don't have to take a biome. Uh, so you could be from Abydos and take, could have been enslaved, that sort of thing. Uh, but you could also uh, take more biome origins than just, say, desert. Urban would make sense. Heck, you got you can't tell me Abydos doesn't have a volcano somewhere. It's a very hot planet. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, even then, being Abedonian doesn't mean you didn't live on a starship or okay. uh, come from a mountainous region, even though it's portrayed very much as a deserty planet. I think there's certainly more uh, options on the on the origins than um, just the desert one, right? Urban, right away, makes sense to right. me. We see that city in the first first one. But by choosing to play Abedonian, yeah, it does, it does somewhat limit your specific choices because that world has been fleshed out. And as a, a player coming from that world, that's should feel intrinsic to your character, right? You should feel like you're from a desert planet because you're Abedonian. And one of the things that Abedonians have is a resistance to heat because they are from a desert planet. I, I can't think of an Abedonian who wouldn't have that ability, right? And so, sure, yeah, it does feel a little limiting when you've chosen Abedonian. But what's key is that the system allows you to choose Abedonian accurately. Okay. Right. That's that's what you're going for there is I want a player who goes, if I'm playing an Abedonian uh, or, you know, if I'm playing uh, if I'm playing a Texan, what do I do? Right. Oh, OK. Well, I'm from I'm from uh, Amarillo, Texas. That's right up near the Panhandle. It's a small town. But, you know, I, I accidentally caught, you know, I'm a small town customs agent who just happened to catch some people smuggling alien artifacts. And now I've been drafted. Right. Like. Well, got to keep this a secret, and you're not going to keep your mouth shut unless you're on base. You're coming with us, right? Like, that's the guy you want to play. <laughs> your group's loudmouth oddball who's there because it's a TV show, and right. no military would ever really use a guy like that. Uh, you know, I want everything from that all the way to buy the books. I studied under Bratak. I am a Jaffa Matak master. I'm as, I'm as Stargate as Stargate can Stargate, you know? <laughs> we got to run that whole gamut, and that's kind of the goal of the origin system. I think that makes Although sense. we did add a few more since you tested. I think I added Oceanic and Teacher and Student as new background origin options. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. And, uh, you know, I didn't consider picking anything other than Desert again because <laughs> it was fleshed out. But, yeah, you, there was very good points on, what, on the other ones that I could have picked. I tried not to choose the biome. And then – so the racial ones were the real, real ones that I looked at. And I was like, huh, they're very limited on, like – four races i think even Tauri only had one one for each race is uh what the what i've got in that section right now i don't believe there was an abedonian one if i recall correctly abedonians are human yeah. but it was human Tauri. human or jaffa uh there is the human one is a Tauri background because i needed i need to ex- give uh the background for the majority of the people operating there okay as stargate is a usa air force operation in the fiction uh, that means the majority of the people operating at, you know, working at the Phoenix side are going to be United States Air Force personnel. Sure, the Phoenix teams are assembled uh, from a uh, melting pot of alien races, but the, you know, the guy who cooks, the guy who, you know, fixes the lights, the guy who, you know, packs all the ammo and maintains the stores and all those, all that support staff is going to be majority United States Air Force. For the human one, uh, we, United States Air Force is the canonical background in that section. Keep in mind, 
I don't think of Abedonian as its own race. I think of it as human. It's a flavor right. of human. It, or yeah. Jaffa, depending on which way you're going with that. The, I'm sure there are plenty of Abedonians who got the pouch in their Jaffa. Moving on from that, I did have a couple of just questions, thoughts on the way that the pacing of the game is supposed to be laid out. Um, I mean, I'm coming, I'm coming heavily from a 5e background. Pretty sure. much, like I'm, I'm a little younger, so 5e <laughs> has been the dominant D and D system my entire adult life. Sure. Pretty much. How many encounters a day is this game designed around? Is is one thing that I'm kind of curious about. When I run, I tend to run between three and four encounters per session. Now, uh, if it's sometimes that's smaller encounters. Um, an example is one of the sessions I recently ran, not to get too into the weeds on our our, our personal plot line, but um, the uh, Phoenix Three, which is the team the players are playing in my in my one of my test games, goes uh, has to go back to uh, answer to uh, uh, Senator Cartwright, who's a you know nice generic senatory name. I'm sure there's a real one, but it's not based on that guy. I don't know all the senators' names. Sorry, <laughs> and. Uh, and so they're they're dealing with this fictional senator uh, with some appropriation stuff, and there's a weird bit where they've kind of had to quarantine because of I'm using some replicator, you know, fun stuff, and there's a weird plant thing that's happening. A lot of plot line that they have to go talk to a senator about, right? What they are and aren't authorized to tell him, and you know, can he be trusted because of this, this, and this? Like it's you know some of that kind of thing. We opened that that one up with an encounter as they were fighting their way back through, like. As it is a TV show, you always want to open up uh, your uh, characters on a place of, um, of rest, of, of comfort, right? This is a place they feel comfortable, and this is who they are. So we opened up at a firefight, which I brought in at a really low um, threat level, a, a really low tension level. It was, uh, I think it was a D4, right? It was almost comedic. My players could talk during it, that sort of thing, as they were fighting off a weird armored T-Rex thing that couldn't quite get to them in the cave while they just waited for a few minutes for the gate to open. And they were trying to lure it into position so that when the gate opened that, you know, the, uh, the <laughs> vent horizon obliterated this weird T-Rex. And that was kind of our one combat for the session because the minute they get back covered in T-Rex gore, uh, they've, you know, they're being told that they're about to meet a Senator and they should get cleaned up. Right. So we were playing that scene for, for comedy. So we went with a low tension rating then we came into um, a uh, minute uh, where they had to talk to a uh, member of a House Ways and Means Committee who was trying to get information from them outside the normal channels, but he was applying pressure to them on it because um, he wanted to go into this meeting that was coming up with some more information. Um, and they had to deal with that in as political a way as possible, because, you know, which is a bad position to put these guys in, especially since one of them is Unas, and, you know, that's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> and then... Uh, um, they, so they, they all get securely transferred to this weird off-site place, and then one of the other encounters was meeting with the actual senator, um, sussing him out, giving him the information he needed, um, and it turns out he had information they didn't. They were able to solve a mystery you know, with that during that encounter scene, but that was a lot of jockeying for position and a lot of determination points during the question and answer where both parties really didn't want to show their entire hand because they were uncertain of each other. At the end of the scene, though, they came out I, I feel my players feel that the senator is at least somewhat on their side, that they agree in some goals and can work together. Um, and then, of course, on the way home, I had a um, invention scene where uh, one of the techs starts getting some weird tracking and discovers that a operative from a foreign 
Stargate program or one that wants to be a foreign Stargate program has got some alien tech and is using it to spy on uh, the senator and a few other people on their way back. And so we, we had an electronic, you know, kind of a, a invent your way through this beat up, beat the electronic thing for our uh, engineer in the in the ride home um, as we forwarded that story kind of in that stinger at the end. So it was four encounters, but really only one in that case was combat. Okay. Yeah, and I know that you had mentioned that a lot of the design around this is going towards combat being a secondary thing, or not should, maybe not secondary. Yeah, it's going to happen. This is an action, you know, sci-fi right. show, right? Uh, but it's it's not for the most most part. Stargate's mission means combat is a matter of last resort. It means something has gone wrong, very wrong, on your diplomatic mission, or the Jaffa have shown up. You know that. Forces of the Gaul have shown up. One of those two things, right? Like right. you are at war, but your mission is not war, right? Their mission is very heroic. It's very peacekeeping. It's diplomatic. You know, this this, this is a story about an Earth trying to put together a coalition that can stop intergalactic slavery, right? Like that's really what the gist of it. It's a very heroic story. So those characters aren't, you know, the, the they're not running in like, well. If the king won't deal with us, we'll just kill him and do it. Like, that's <laughs> you've got the Geneva Convention. You still are beholden to it as a member of the Air Force. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would be. Um, but to that ends with combat. So one thing that we noticed is that, like, well, especially while looking at HP and how much HP everybody gains every level, <coughs> that sort of thing, it, it's kind of on a flatter curve. Was that designed to slow or to speed up combat at later levels i wouldn't say it's a flatter curve you still have your hit dice right and players and and unique to our system because of the way leveling up happens you can later on increase your hit dice and that's retroactive and you can get every even if you really felt like your scientist should have a d12 you can get up there so there part of it is giving players something to spend ep on which feels bad when you take something away but I give you more e- more hit points to start than standard 5th edition does. So by the time you get to the higher levels, you're at about the same numbers. A little higher on, I think, the 5th edition end, but not by much, by like 5 or 10%. Um, and that is purposeful because one of the things I enjoy about 5th edition is that it does simulate old school gaming pretty well. And that first through third level is real super lethal, right? You're, you know, your fighter could go down in a, in a, in a heartbeat. And that's great in a dungeon crawl. That does not make for compelling television. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's certainly true. Um, and that's where our tension die comes in. If the GM wants things to be lethal, he sets a higher tension die. The monsters get a little harder. Uh, the poisons do a little more damage. The uh, creature's uh, magic shield that resists damage resists a little more damage, that sort of thing, as the tension guy die goes up. That way the GM has direct control of how lethal every scene is um, just by setting the tension die. Okay. Um, and I, and that, you mentioned the tension die, and I think that's something that um, when we did our play test, we underutilized it, i.e. didn't use it at all because it was – I don't think that we had a good understanding of where to actually place the tension die. During testing, it's certainly one of the places that I'm looking to add it in and give more tools. Uh, as an example, uh, one of the things I've been using Tension Die for, um, it, it comes into a factor in uh, aerial combat, having more skill points because the dies are die are larger when you roll more dice to establish superiority is a huge deal. And that makes 
aerial combat very tense when it's a D8, D10, D12 versus a D4 when it might be more comedic, where it's just you and a satellite trying to, to get someone, right? It depends on the threat level. Here we go. Uh, recently, just in the cu last couple days, I tested a set of MOOC rules. I don't know if I'll use them. Don't hold me to this. I haven't, haven't even looked to put them in. But uh, some sort of system for fighting a bunch of guys. And the way I, I'm working that one is every monster's got a... I was calling it a MOOC rating, but I'm told that that might be an offensive term, so I have to double check. I really hope it isn't. We'll call it fodder, which is definitely offensive. Uh, <laughs> mass combat characters. I don't know what to call it. Uh, but when you want to have a bunch of, you know, non, not non-threatening, but somebody, people who are going to go down or get taken out of the fight rapidly in, in large numbers, we use the tension die, where whenever they take a hit, they roll the tension die and compare it to that number. And if it, uh, you know, that just determines whether they're removed or not. Um, okay. And that, that makes it possible for even, you know, all we're worried about is, did you hit, right? This is... The players on a wall with a hundred, you know, Jaffa firing volleys at them, and they're making reflex saves every round while while shooting down, rather than you know doing a, a straight hit point to hit point battle out. Different ways to run different action scenes. Okay, and yeah, I think that's something that we well, uh, obviously it wasn't in a place where where we could use it, but I'm looking forward to seeing that as a as a fully fledged system in the game. A lot of monsters are going to have effects that trigger off of it. Okay. Um, and I was going to say, I think in the playtest book that we were using, there wasn't much as far as like enemy stat blocks or, no. or monsters yet. So that it was like the tension die was talked about during in the book and, and is in there, but it there really was not a very clear way, at least in the test part so far the to, to beast, use it yeah the taste test beast here is mostly numbers focused where i want to make sure that the actual underlying engine from 1 to 20 you, you know works and i want to make because mm -hmm. i've made some changes to it we're, we're using firearms everyone we're using ranged combat makes for a very different encounter and it's it's difficult to do on a standard grid map a lot of uh, mm -hmm. when i run firefights i tend to use a a top-down aerial view like a military shot and then all my characters, my players have tokens, and I'm just telling them how far things are, and they're moving from cover to cover and doing their stuff that way. It, it, I mean, grid maps, they'll function, but when I use them, it's more like, here's your guys on a grid map, here's 300, here's 100 meters of gap, here's them, right? So they know that where the wiggle line is is 100 meters. So it's, sure. you know, there's, there's a different kind of encounter that happens when you're talking about firearms in a military scale something that I need to make sure the numbers are really tight on uh, before I start expanding and doing weird things with my bestiary. Got to make orcs before dragons, you know? Right. Okay, I had, I think I had like one or two more questions. Sorry that I'm taking up so much time, Justin. <laughs> Go uh, for it, Alec. You know. I, got, I got nowhere to be. All the options that the classes have as they level up. And what is your intended level range? Or maybe not your intended level range, but what level range do you think works best um, with this system? Well, the the correct answer is they should all work best. Uh, but the reality of it is a system that's based on a D20, especially something with the bounded accuracy system of 5th edition, I think works best when not at specific levels, but at certain party compositions, especially when you want to give players in 5th edition things like magic spells, world-shaping abilities. The ability to cause an earthquake at high levels is, you know, a danger to kingdoms. Uh, and <laughs> and so it, when when you've got a system like D&D, &D, there's obviously, you know, uh, typically, at least 
that's not as true in fifth edition, but in previous editions, marshals races. And that was because of how the systems at the time used a game system that uses a D20. Fifth edition with bonded accuracy kind of tilts that a little bit on its head, where they where the entirety where the both sides are a little more equal the entire way. And I think fifth edition myself, for me, operates smoothest between five and thirteen. Um, some people say seven and eleven, but I think it's a little broader than that. Our system, I feel, works good one to five. It lets you know what you're playing and lets you know what you're supposed to do. It gives you roles that you're supposed to meet in a typical Stargate mission, right? Like if if Stargate hired you, you fill one of these needs. But as soon as you hit level five and we break out into the do whatever you want, it's it's a I feel it does empower players to always make sure they've got a little something every level that helps them keep up. Um, no matter what, you've always got a time when you're like, you know what, I'm just going to take my con from that 13 to 14. I know it's nine experience. That was two game sessions, but I'll be darned if that's not 12 hit points right now. There's, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of, I hope players can do. I can't ever think I'll ever get it perfect. But that's one of the big things that feedback does for me, especially when I get players that are starting to hit levels 12, 13. Um, we just hit 14 in one of my my uh, test games where they're doing a level of session just to test every level a little bit. So far, it's been going pretty smooth. But that's easy for me to say on a system that uses bonded accuracy with the proficiency die and doesn't include an overwhelming amount of combat. Other things besides combat get tested. I'm a little nervous at times that you'll hit that problems of too many hit points or hit points that feel weird. One of the problems I always had with fourth edition is that a rhino has 46 hit points. Name one person with more hit points than a rhinoceros. Show me this human being. <laughs> Show me this human being. You know, I understand why it's there. It's not, hit points aren't representative of how tough, tough it is. It's representative of how hard it is for a player character to kill. Right. And that's where rhinoceros fits on that scale. But in Stargate, that weird alien rhino is way higher on the scale. That that thing's a problem. <laughs> a cow has more hit points than you think. That's one of the things we've uh, we've talked about in uh, in testing is how many hit points should a cow have? <laughs> oh, I think we actually we actually looked at the cow stat block that was in the, the handbook and it was. I think it was very it has, strong. It, this is the, the problem with hit points and firearms. Uh, unless I've got people die, like <laughs> I made a quip the other day that unless you're making a con check against Hydra Shock every time you get shot, I don't know if it's realistic enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Your ranges are affected by the curvature of the Earth, people. That's just physics. Let's talk about that. <laughs> uh, uh, but I, I, I'm being flippant. Guns is really difficult in 5th edition. It really is because... Not only is hit points a bad way to describe guns, and ranges don't feel right if you know if you know guns. If you've ever fired a gun, if you've worked in the military, especially ranges, the range system in in D and D works fine when you're talking about dungeons with a bow and a crossbow, uh, with thrown weapons. You know that's sort of thing. It does its job. It doesn't have to be complicated. That's not what the system's combat is built around. A military sci-fi game, they've got a lot of guns. Yeah, bar brawls happen. You know, you, sometimes you, sometimes O'Neill has to punch a dude. But, you know, that's not the, the core of the combat. So 5th edition, trying to not only make it do guns, but now make it do TV guns. So <laughs> now I have to simulate a reality that doesn't exist and never has. Right? So that jump is really, really tricky when you're also trying to make a tactical game that players can make decisions in that matter. In a, in a tactical game, you want success and failure, and you've got to build a system that doesn't punish failure so heavily 
that success isn't worth trying, right? That's where people have to run away too much. That's where people can't run across that gap and risk a few hits from a gun. And so realistically, you couldn't, you can't run across a 20 meter gap hoping that covering fire gets you there. The soldier can't do that. That's a great way to die, you know? But in a movie, in a TV show, that's, that's how we show character bravery. That's how we push the plot. It's really hard to play that right chord. That's where playtesting and listening to my players comes back over and over and over again. Right now, what they don't know I'm doing is every time they complain about something like, I was in the military and this is how I think it should work. I'm like, well, that's a feat now. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't have to rewrite my rules. That's three experience points, sucker. <laughs> Sorry, uh, you forgot that you're high level. Uh, take the compliment. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think right now, to answer your question in the most roundabout way possible, politics, you can't see, but I've got a, you know, I'm doing the, the Clinton thumb thing. Uh, <laughs> right now, I've been having the most fun running from one to five where I get to introduce new players to Stargate because that is just inherently fun. Stargate is one of those really rich properties that has a, a heavy fan base that really has created a lot of cool tools online, that has a studio that, that does really want the fans to be happy, that really wants cool Stargate stuff happen. They know who they are. They know what kind of stories they're trying to tell, and they're not ashamed of it. And it, it feels a little bit for me like some of the really good TV universes we're seeing. I, I've lost my thread there because it's just it's so tricky to stay on that that really narrow combat line in a game like this. Uh, oh, I was saying it's it's one to five are the most fun because I'm introducing people, and then tactically I'm really enjoying um, about once you've got about a plus four on your proficiency bonus. I really look at it more proficiency bonus bandwidths. Um, I think that's how we're talking about doing our living game systems, our living you know our our um, Organized play is we want to do it in, in proficiency bandwidth. So I think that really, for, for D&D, that really describes how powerful your character is more accurately. I think four and five are the best one. And by six, I mean, I've got players commanding starships and crazy stuff. I've gone completely off the rails. I can't even. One of my games is um, a fighter wing of uh, the new fighter jet that all my players are, are all playing pilots that nevertheless end up doing, that's the one where they had to go back and talk diplomatic missions. So they've got their, you know, Baron von Richthofen, Jaffa pilot, Death Glider pilot out there. I'm doing a lot of, I'm, I'm hitting all the, the World War II fighter pilot tropes in that game. Well, Richthofen uh, would be a World War One pilot. You're right, that's World War One. you're right. But our game is less, <laughs> there's a lot more, you know, dogfights through canyons than... Uh, <laughs> I'm hitting a lot more, uh, oh, what was the uh, Independence Day dogfights in our games. <laughs> there you go. We're using uh, the chase mechanics for half of the dogfights and then aerial combat for the rest. That's a good way of doing it. Well, Ricky, uh, Wyatt, do you guys have any questions that have popped up? We're on our, what is this, fifth version of the beta right now. Are we still looking at receiving? More. more? Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think we're on our ninth or tenth version. I think I, I started off with a version that was just black and white. Had a little bit of blue here and there, um, and that was our private beta. So I'm, I think we're on our 13th or 14th revision. Um, mm. I stopped numbering them and just now put the dates on them. I don't know what's going to be released and when. I expect with this additional time there will be at least a couple more beta releases just so I can get a little more feedback. I am just honestly not able to give you those answers. That's I got my head down trying to just fill this book, right? I got word counts. I got 
cool stuff to test. I got edits to put in. At my weekly meeting, they're like, hey, can we release a new one? I'm like, yeah, yeah, go for it. You know, that's that's kind of how it goes. So, <laughs> um, I believe they are planning to do at least one, maybe two more at different stages. Um, and I know we're going to probably do – I'll always be pushing for an update, uh, especially if we're doing another month of tests. I want to do another couple of updates, things like that. Don't expect me to be, you know, quiet or not doing anything. I just – I'm deep in the layout right now, so the next up, that means the next update has an extra 40 pages, has another, heck, I think I just added 12 pages to the equipment chapter. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just went through, at one point, I'm like, I've got some space. I'm going to list out things the Air Force has. Sure, we've never seen a parachute used in Stargate. That's not to say a Stargate can't be on the edge of a cliff and some guy's got to do some base jumping right out the Stargate. That's interesting. How the heck are they going to get back in there? <laughs> figure that out before you deploy guys <laughs> that would yeah, be an that, interesting conversation on the other side it's like, yeah. oh that? hey we should have thought of something <laughs> <laughs> that's actually awesome to hear because there's so much to the Stargate universe that you can hit on that yeah well, we never really did see them use parachutes before right and as a role playing game it's one of the things players need is tools to solve problems that way a GM can give them creative problems and they can, as a Stargate team, solve the problem. Because that's what we see happen every episode. The right. team solves a problem. <laughs> Not uh, to oversimplify stuff. <laughs> True. <laughs> Gross uh, sometimes the problem is a, uh, a death glider and a gold system lord. Sometimes the problem is uh, a very nosy NID agent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes someone decides that Carter is, is, uh, doesn't have rights and, and he learns a hard lesson, that man. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, why did you have anything that you thought of? No, I think everything got covered in the stuff I jotted. Excellent. Uh, Alec, uh, anything left on your list? Or are you? I mean, I wanted to ask, uh, like, are there plans <laughs> to have a pre-made, like, for you to eventually release a pre-made season or Monster Manual, essentially? So I am not able to commit to a lot on that right now, um, mainly because I am the rules guy. There is a completely different set of people writing our organized play. Now, mm -hmm. I believe that the goal is to write it by the season, and it will be episodes like you were playing through a season. Um, okay. Now, I don't know what they're doing. I honestly, I know very little on that side. I know they've got a seasonal big bad threat that you know the 13 to whatever number of episodes they're doing follow and i know they've got a system in there and a lot of it right now is them trying to take my crazy encounter system and turn it into adventures so i try mm -hmm. not to bother them for too much they've got <laughs> they've got enough work in, in, on their hands interpreting my insanity but at, when it comes to bestiary i do plan to add a lot to the bestiary my goal so but please do not hold me to this if we've had to make cuts for page count uh, my goal is to include every creature that the stargate teams encounter in uh, sg1 seasons one through six uh, series officially starts in season six mm -hmm. so i want to include all the monsters through the end of season six so that the gm at home can start it at an episode and if he wants to be able to have his story happening in the background of the tv show that you know a lot of those questions that we see them just kind of quip about, things that are mentioned in sidebars, things like that, you can explain or delve into. You can do a lot of that fun at-home you know, world building. You know, head mm -hmm. It's your table canon, and that's the fun part of, of this sort of thing, is, is this other guy who did this other thing that 
you know, you've always thought it was weird that the Death Glider showed up right then. Well, why is that? Well, here's this whole other stupid adventure where this right. team snuck in after the SG-1 is on the same planet as them. And we see them in the background as your team runs around. To get that, I really need to do everything they fight. So you got to be able to build Jaffa 1 to 20. you got to be able to build a variety from rank and file because you need level 19 rank and files. You know, the, the bad guys got to keep up with the, with the players. Um, sometimes you do way lower levels and you let the players mow through them. But you got to have a full gamut there. You got to have every monster, I, I hope, every alien creature they encounter, every alien race at least that they encounter even non-combat. Because the stats have to include all of their social encounter, their story-driven encounter mechanics. You've got to know that somewhere in that book, there's a diplomat, one to 20 diplomats, so that no matter what, a GM can be like, all right, I'm going to grab party's level 15. This is a diplomat that can kind of bully, but not too easy. I'm going to bring, I'm going to grab the level 11 diplomat. Uh, I may do it by proficiency bonus to save myself page space, but you need to be able to just jump to a diplomat and be like, this is the guy you're talking to. Here's his vague determination. Here's what he, you know, here's how he responds to things. Here's a character that you can flesh out and try and convince to let you into the ball you know <laughs> whatever that story is required that's fantastic yeah. actually so that bestiary section needs a lot of love and that's coming right now i want to get the encounter section uh i've got about eight or nine more mechanics to get laid out and sorted through because a variety of encounters is critical to being able to tell a show that doesn't feel repetitive um and each of those encounter types needs to be represented in multiple ways in different scenes they need to lend to creativity so once those are nice and tight, I can start building uh, both combat and non-combat stat blocks for creatures to fit into those mechanics, very, you know, puzzle piece-wise. Yeah, we don't necessarily need to see the uh, monster of the uh, of the episode. Right. Every episode. Yeah, it's almost uh, better if you see him every four or five. Mm-hmm. You know, and as we've been discussing, Mac, I've been, you know, kind of brewing and thinking on where, you know, maybe some, maybe some of the stuff has happened. Because you, you mentioned you the the game itself is set season six of SG one, which is before Atlantis, before Universe even were like a fever dream. I think was there something about that season six cut that made it like this is where we want to kind of set it and not really you know go all the way at the end or too it, early. It was the uh, brainchild, I believe, of Lawyer, who was the first designer, who wanted to set the game world at that specific location. He had an uh, idea that the Phoenix site, which was this kind of coalition effort, um, would operate off of a secret planet where they had a DHD, where the Air Force decided, why have one Stargate when we can have access to two? So they found this planet where they had a tunnel network and nothing was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that, that Stargate was really defensible. So they built this secondary base, and this is where a lot of refugees come. They have what's called the Home Initiative, where, um, which is, uh, uh, I forget the acronym, but we give it in the book, where they're relocating refugees to other planets where um, other species have agreed to take them in. Um, there's a couple of um, uh, agrarian societies that are real friendly to for, uh, foreign people. So like they're, you know, if your planet is overrun by Gould and we're just trying to save the 5,000 of you, then yeah, come on with us. We'll find a place for you, right? It's that relocation mm-hmm. effort. So there's this real clear moment in Stargate canon where the races come together, right? Where the rebel Jaffa and the, to- you know, the, the Tok'ra and the, you know, that's that story arc in season yeah. six. And so it felt like it was a very, it was the right place for an event like that, for a secret 
base like that to get created by the U.S. government, who's dealing in a different way with the exact same issue that the characters of the Stargate are dealing with, right? You know, the the existence of alien powers, but that also means alien friendlies. How do we meet friends without making enemies? Yeah, and that's it's definitely like going through the Phoenix site province, and, and it kind of felt like, okay, if you guys went too early, it just doesn't make sense because they're dealing with all the other plot lines and other story arcs and are still trying to make all those friends meet. Then again, if you go too far, then the ghoul threat isn't much of a threat anymore. Right. Well, and you, it gives us a finite amount of a very large chunk of lore to, to create for. Mm-hmm. Um, it does mean expansions are fairly straightforward if we, if, if we get there. You know, you always got your mind to, all right, what if this, there needs to be three more books? All right, well, what would right. go in those, right? So that's easy enough. There's a lot of fun toys and, and stuff in those seasons to put in there. Who knows mm-hmm. what form that will take. Right now, there's enough work to do getting a book done. Right. <laughs> Let's but, get the core uh, book out. So you're always kind of, those are always in the back of your mind. But it, it, it's nice that it's a finite point. It's nice that it's a one that makes sense in the storyline that harkens back to seasons that, uh, especially that the fan base loves, you know, seasons that are very Stargate, that are, that are, have a lot of the episodes you want to show people when you're talking about how cool Stargate is, right? Like, oh, I can't wait for this one. Oh, this one's really cool, right? Like, um, and so it's, for me, it's, it's, a sweet spot in the lore where there's enough that's been added since the movie that you can really sink your teeth into telling a Stargate story, but not so much that you don't overwhelm the guy who's like Stargate with who Kurt Russell. Oh, I think I saw that when I was 13. Like that guy's at your game table too. Yeah. I thought that was um, another thing. Like uh, I know Alec talked about it and and you, and you addressed it, Mac uh, was the accessibility of five E one of those key factors and i've seen other game systems leverage that like hey we have this crazy cool world we have this cool idea let's just use 5e because a it's the world's greatest role-playing game according to wizards of the coast they have a broad audience and a big you know a lot of people play DD. a lot of people know of DD. having that opening there for people to like, I play D D, but I've never played a sci-fi game. Let's go. Well, and we're not afraid to add some additional rules. You know, the tension die, mm-hmm. the determination points. We're not we're not afraid to tack some stuff on to get the effects we want. Right. Uh, I'm trying real hard to not hard shift the rules. If you're familiar with how movement happens, your character's got a movement distance in meters. It's real simple. Right. Yeah. Here's you get an action a turn. You get a move a turn. None of that's changed. Don't 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 mess with the 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 bread and butter. Yeah, you know your your same same points in your leveling process. You gain you know extra damage die with your weapons. The numbers kind of go in that same same line where you want them. You know where you expect them to. Sort of. I mean we've we've got creatures at different points in the line because it's different stories, but <laughs> the line is the same. We just decide we're decided different points for the dots. One thing I, I know I mentioned it in the review and we talked about it in our review episode, but we we were big fans of having the GM guidelines of how to write a season in your system. I um, think one of you guys mentioned West End Games D6 Star Wars, yeah? Uh, West End Games D6 Star Wars is one of Ken's favorite games. Uh, Wyatt you, sir, is running are a man of refined taste and a gentleman. Uh, and we ran a Stargate <laughs> West End game system because we love the system and went it it it's just take out the laser swords and it could be Stargate right you, you yeah. can do all the things you want yeah uh, it's a great system um, when I was young 
I mean, I, you, I don't even know where you'd get that book. Those books are what, tw- 30 years old? Crime and Nettles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like 12 when I got my copy. Jeez. <laughs> um, what really blew my mind as a 12-year-old, uh, you know, just starting to be my group's game master, mm-hmm. was that chapter on how to be a GM, where they laid out how to get ideas. Like, Star Wars can be about something. Grab a newspaper, pick a rent. Even if it's about a bake sale, use that as your jumping off point. What's the <laughs> weird alien bake sale that goes awry and you have a hilarious Ewok adventure for a few minutes, right? Like, right. What, how do you Star Wars anything? How do you, you know, how do you make a game unique? And I've been using those techniques in Shadowrun and D&D and Stargate. You know, those are just good, solid storytelling techniques that really help me shape my games. I really drew on it for inspiration a lot when I was talking about how to do, how to make a game that represents a TV show and mm-hmm. does character story arcs with an overarching story arc that all comes together and ties threads and does it in 13 episodes. Right. And that's the thing that struck me is because I, you know, being a fan of RPGs and I've picked up my fair share of TV show based RPG books across the years. This is the first one that I I can recall that actually tries to show that point off and i thought it was a really good touch to say how do you make a stargate rpg a stargate rpg and capture that feel and make sure it's still episodic because we're all fans of the show that's why we want to play a stargate rpg right i watched it when it originally released on tv i was at my tv every week right I canceled plans. I skipped. <laughs> <laughs> I came into it a little bit later personally because I, I watched the movie as a kid and like comedic mythology and, and the whole like mythology around Egypt it fascinated me. So then all of a sudden, 1993 rolls around and there's a Egyptian themed action movie. I was I was in. I used to have a wonderful parents. We used to have a place called the Birdcage Shopping Mall, mm-hmm. which had the Dollar Theater. Had a bowling alley, had an arcade, had a comic book store, and had a cafe that served bagel dogs. I don't know what else I could have wanted as a kid. (laughs) Um, And my parents would trot me off with a 10 spot. But, of course, for an entire summer, I had, like, two movies to choose from. Whatever other PG-13 or lower movie the Dollar Theater was showing that I could get into. And Stargate. (laughs) I assure you, I saw Stargate in theaters easily eight or nine times. That's awesome. Happily. <laughs> popcorn is the great part. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Blows up the ship. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, Ricky, Wyatt, Alec, do you guys have any other last-minute thoughts or questions? Cause... No, I was, was going to say, no, I think, uh, I think we've covered everything that I wanted to talk about. Awesome. Essentially, I think two closing questions for you, Mac. One is going to be because you are a uh, definitely a fan. I've you know I've gotten out of our conversation already in this last hour. What is your go-to Stargate episode? Oof. Oh, I this is going to be a cop out. Okay. And you're going to call me. You're going to call this a cop out. But for me, it's season one, episode one, and here's why. Children of the Gods. Okay. When it comes to world building, transitioning from we had a pretty successful movie. Oh man, that was a great movie. <laughs> I'm going to do a series based on it. Well, how do you get enough out of that 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 ballet pivot twist of dial different numbers? Booyah, mic drop. <laughs> From a storytelling perspective, the ability that it's such a simple, elegant the writers clearly cared about the world and didn't want to overwrite mythology. But to mm-hmm. be able to expand the world 
for me, from a storytelling standpoint, season one, episode one is like a shotgun narratively that can launch, you know, it's like a cannon boom that launches a fleet, you know? It's just, it, it creates a world that's so much larger and can't be told in a big budget movie. It can only be told slowly exploring it over seasons. And it shows off the power early on before we now we're in this golden age of TV and we take it for granted. But back then to have a TV show that could only be a TV show, the stories mm -hmm. being told would not work in a movie. And they pivot an entire intellectual property that elegantly on one little like, boop, I love it. That's awesome. Uh, that's that's like one of those like you're, you're coming at it from a designer and a writer aspect, which is, you know, not necessarily you know uh, uh, what a normal like fanboy would answer which is always a great more, uh, because that's where you fan, engage with it yeah the more fanboy answer if you want is would be the um oh is it season one late season one early season two i'm a little foggy right now because i just had to watch them all really close <laughs> so like they kind of blend sorry <laughs> sorry i watched like six seasons of stargate in very rapid order but there's the one where they discovered the guy who'd been stranded for 70 some odd years no, not, oh, yeah. not that long, but he, yeah, he'd been there since they accidentally started it up and didn't know, you know, more expansion of the universe, sure, but mm -hmm. just that story and seeing that, like, I don't know why, that 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 one always gets to me, maybe it's because I was in quarantine when I rewatched it, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I get this no no contact thing, oh, man, this poor man, like, it yeah, the, not... <laughs> this this man who pretty much has given up on clothing, seeing a human for the first time, just hugs Daniel Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, yeah, I know it's played for comedy, but I feel you, man. I feel you. Right. Like, <laughs> I might get in trouble for saying this, but a lot of shows, when I go back to them that I loved back in the 90s, I'm like, oh, this doesn't hold up. I went true. and I watched Stargate, and I'm like, oh, this holds up. This is just good sci-fi storytelling. All right, all right. They really, they're, okay, all right. Yeah, nope, that's, tell, what's this next episode? Like, it just holds up. Right. There's there's some that age better than others, but overall, you're right. It's you don't get a super cringy episode here or there. Yeah, I mean, you you, you make allowances for what television '90s uh, had to do, to do, but they right. were again they that was when CGI was first becoming viable, and they went well. We'll do spaceships that don't have moving parts because that's what CGI does best. Right. You know, they did what they leaned into their strengths in ways that overcame their weaknesses, which I guess is why I like season one, episode one as well so much, mm -hmm. right? It's it's uniquely elegant and targeted. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. And the only other question I have for you, Mac, at this point, and I think it's more if you have anything to pitch that uh, you, you need to get out there, but more importantly, if they want to get into this beta test and give you some feedback and actually see what you're working on, where can they find that? That is an excellent question. The website you want for that is StargateTheRPG.com. Awesome. Uh, and and uh, that's where you're going to find all the information about that. I'm not certain what... Yes, I'm in control of the beta in that mm -hmm. I decide what goes into it to be tested, but I don't control really when it goes out and who handles the website. That's all other people's jobs, so I can't speak to when that will happen or how it's handled. Uh, but that's the website to go to if you're interested. Um, I believe you can get into the beta fairly easily. I don't think it's very hard to get in. Uh, I believe, if I remember right, all you have to do is essentially create a username and password 
kind of like self-register on the website and you go to the download section. So I don't think, I don't remember any hoops and hurdles to get through to it. I don't think so either. If you guys didn't do much more than that to get in on the beta, I think you're in good shape. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and that's useful even to people who just are Stargate fans who want to give it a perusal and kick me yep. some feedback. Sometimes you don't have to run a, if, if you are going to read this and give me a little feedback from what your first blush is, understand I know what first blush opinions are, but I do read them and they're useful. So, you know, if, if, if you're a Stargate fan or a RPG fan, I'm happy to, you know, I'm happy for the free work. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to read it and give me comments. I'll listen. <laughs> Fantastic. I believe that pretty much wraps up everything we had questions for you. I hope you had a great time with us, Mac. Uh, I do oh, thank you. Good social interacting. I didn't get a lot of that lately. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy to help with that as best we can. <laughs> and I definitely appreciate your time and effort here uh, to come on and, and talk to us about it and, and give us, you know, your perspective, your opinion, your cannered way. I really appreciate the chance to talk about it. It's, uh, it's fun to talk about. It's fun to mm -hmm. kind of bounce around you know what the thought processes are and right what the fans think and you know that sort of thing mm -hmm. and once again i want to thank uh wyatt and alec for joining us again on this episode because uh you guys were there in the thick of things as the between us and ken were like uh how does this work <laughs> how do we make a character how does this how is this different from what we already know so i appreciate you guys uh time and effort and, and energy in this too thanks for having us and Ricky, keep being yourself. I'm here. We'll call it a wrap, and thanks again for all your time. Hey, thank you very much. Welcome back, and thanks for listening to that interview with uh, Mac Martin. Right. It was a lot of fun. We had good times with it. Can't wait to see what's coming up next and down the road with uh, Wyvern Gaming. So keeping track on that. Um, as we kind of joked about it, we were even, you know, we might have actually have a live session or something with Mac in the future. So stay tuned for something of that nature. I'm kind of excited to see get that set up once uh, a little bit more comes off his plate so he can do it for, <laughs> for us. And coming up next episode is another special treat. We have uh, lined up to talk to Sandy Peterson of Peterson Games. If the name's familiar, it, he's been in the industry forever. Uh, doing not only video games, but board games and RPGs. So He's had his hand in quite a bit. Right, so we're going to be talking to him on next episode, so stay tuned for that. As always, thank you for listening, and keep on spreading the word of Tabletop Arcanum. Want to follow us? We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitter uh, Carrier Pigeons, mm -hmm. uh, all at Tabletop Arcanum. Send us your smoke signals, please. Yeah, and as always... Thanks for listening, and happy gaming. And Justin, I'm crashing on your couch until the next episode. Oh man, the cats will be mad. Yeah, I'm like a big cat. It's true. You've been listening to Tabletop Arcanum, hosted by Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, and featuring the original music by Paul Moore and Isaac Gilbert. You can follow us on most social media platforms. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks for listening.